Hey, uh, we are in the process of uh, going through a series through the book of Colossians. Um, we are in verses 21 to 23 today, the latter part of what Pastor Nate just read. And I want to let you know, as you see titled in the sermon notes that you have in the update there, it, uh, today is a, a bad news, great news text. It's a bad news, great news text. And we have been going through chapter one. We are actually in this verse 21 to 23 is actually the fourth sentence. I've been talking, making an issue about how these massive long sentences in the original language were in the fourth sentence uh, today. Paul has been doing what I'm going to kind of maybe invent a new term. Paul has been pray teaching. He's been pray teaching through Colossians chapter one, and he's praying. Uh, he started out in the beginning, pray, I pray thanking, and then he's praying asking. And, uh, yet in all of this text, it's so cool to watch, uh, this happen. He's pray teaching. I don't know if you know this. I do that all the time at an end of service. If you've ever taught a class or you've sat with pastors or teachers, they're like, are they praying or did they forget something in their notes? Now they're bringing into it. And, and, and yes, um, on both of those, but that's what Paul is doing here. And we've seen him in verses nine through 13. He's kind of been praying, uh, but he's certainly almost teaching about God, the father in those verses there. Then uh, really at verse 13, he begins to 12, 13, he begins to transition into this teaching about God, the son, about Jesus Christ. And we went into last Sunday, just a, a massive, massive of, of importance text. Uh, relating to the whole study of Colossians. And if you weren't able to be here last week because of the weather or because you were gone, I would encourage you at the bottom of those sermon notes, there's a video uh, that we watched in here last week. It's a 19-minute video, John Piper. I would encourage you to go to that link. I think it's uh, Harvest Indy West at, and then uh, JC Supreme uh, Vid. And you can go and watch that. If you didn't, very important, it'll sum all of last Sunday up for you. It's just phenomenal. But we see this teaching here that Paul is giving us in verse 15 and following about the supremacy of Christ. In fact, look at it. Look at verse 15. Jesus Christ, it says, is supremely above all creation, all creation. Then verse 16, Jesus Christ created all things, all the things in the heavens, the stars, the moons, the the, the sun, everything that's out there, the galaxies. Jesus Christ created it. He created all those things. He created all the earth things. The text tells us he created the, created the invisible things. He created the invisible things. And to sum it all up in verse 16, it says, he created all things or all things are created through him and for him. And I made mention again last Sunday that I think a lot of us, including me, need to get our heads in the, the risen, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ reality. And often we, we think of Jesus as what we see in the movies and see in the gospels that he's kind of this hippie, sandaled, you know, poor carpenter's kid kind of thing. God in the flesh, but more in that. And yet here we see this. Listen, all of creation was created by him. Every bit of it, every atom, every cell. The guy who walked down the Via Della Rosa and gave his life up was the same one, God in the flesh. That was the one who created it all. And I talked last week, they just found 715 new planets around distant stars, created them all, knew about them all. Amazing. We need to blow our minds on who Christ is. Verse 17, he's before all things. And I love this part of it. He holds all things together. Science does not know what holds everything together. I don't know if you know that or not. 
They cannot explain what holds it together. In fact, uh, scientifically, it should not stay together. What holds it together? Uh, Jesus Christ holds the whole thing together. So cool. Uh, Spiritual glue. Verse 18, he's the head of all of his redeemed people, the church. In that text, there's seven alls. It's trying to give the comprehensiveness of the supremacy of Christ. And in that, Jesus Christ is supreme pray, pray teaching sets the context for today. The context of what we're talking about today as Paul's continuing in his pray teaching is this term of reconciliation. And, and we need to understand this. Our supreme depravity can only be re- resolved through a supreme reconciler and he is supreme the one who created it all friends he's big enough to take care of all of your and my tragedy and all of your and my mess and all in your my depravity he can handle it he can handle it well we leave verse 20 kind of set up. Look at verse 20. It's the end of this huge sentence. And it says, verse 20, it says, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I think Paul here in this sentence is kind of like, you know, I'm going to put these kind of big terms in this so that you leave this sentence in my discussion kind of going like, what does all that mean? And he answers it. And that's what verses 21 and 23 are about. Friends, we're going to dig into a text today that, um, well, let me put it this way. First, there's some bad news. Humanly speaking, preferentially speaking, just who I am by nature, I'd rather just jump right past verse 21. I really would. Because verse 21 contains some really bad news. But verses 22 and 23 contain some great news. And here's the deal. You you don't understand how great great is until you understand how bad bad is. You don't understand how great great is until you understand how bad bad is. So I'm not going just to skip or jump right past verse 21. We're going to man up. We're going to woman up. And we're going to take 21. And I'm going to take it here for a little while. And and you're going to kind of get through verse 21. And you're going to be like, crud. I'm just depressed, Doug. I'm just giving you advance warning. Um, But know this. The great news is right after it. And it's great news. And if we don't understand the bad news, the great news isn't all that great. Lord, I pray as we dig into this text that you would just love us. That you would love us by showing us our condition. And you would love us by showing us what you have done. And lastly, will you love us by helping to understand all this more? May we leave today loving you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, verse 21, let's dive in. The bad news of once. 
the bad news of once, my total depravity reality. Let's read it. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Okay, let's work through this uh, a little bit of a statement at a time here. First, and you. Uh, who's the you? Well, the you in the text is referring to what's stated in verse 1. Believers living in Colossae, those that have been redeemed in Christ, that have been uh, uh, come to know Christ as their Savior, he's talking to them. By the way, one of the flows in the grammar that we can't pick up because our you, plural, third person, and our you, plural, or, or, plural second person, which is a little bit more direct, sound the same. And he's actually made a change here. He's been talking you, and now here he moves into second person where it's a little bit more direct, where it's he's talking like this. He's talking like, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to you, as opposed to you. <laughs> okay? So, so here we are, we're in the text talking to believers. That's very important to understand. What's about to be said is not being talked about about people who do not know Christ, although it is true. It is talking to people who know Christ in this situation. You, and look, it says, and you once were formerly. That's past tense. That's as in, not in the present, but once. You once were. I'll just note here as I will later. There's hope in that, you guys. Because what we're about to go through with these three terms that are given are once things for the person that has been reconciled in Christ. Well, let's go to the bad news. And I say the bad news because he puts three terms in here, uh, three statements describing the onceness, if you will, that we have. The first term is what? Alienated. It alienated. It means estranged. It means a relationship that's gone awry. It's, it's something that's been cut off. I would just toss out to consider the word divorce. And I say that because the word here is not like separated like we're, uh, we're having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month alienated. Like we're not talking to each other for a while. It actually within the grammar has this idea of a continualness. In other words, it's a relationship that's been cut off, broken, and set apart. That's the reality. There's a divorce that's taken place here. And if you will, it's with God. It's with God. And by the way, remember, this is believers. And you believers once were alienated, separated from God. Alienated. The next word is hostile in mind. Hostile in mind. It's, it's hostile thinking. It's, 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 it's not just like you irritate me, you frustrate me, or like, I just think you're weird. None of that. It's actually hostility. It's Al-Qaeda thinking. I hate you, and I want to take you out. It's that kind of hostility, and it's, and it's thinking. And by the way, it's enemy-like thinking that is toward God. Toward God. That is the natural mindset, the natural state of being at war in our thinking with God, naturally. <laughs> Doug, um... Um, excuse me, but, uh, maybe for you, but just stuff it, dude. Um, don't tell me that. Well, for one, I'm not, it is. Uh, secondly, let me just kind of 
think about this together, okay? Have you not ever thought, why did God create Adam and Eve and allow them to sin? I actually think that's a very good question. But let's go a little bit further in the thinking that goes drilled down further beyond that. Because in that thinking, it's like, that was dumb. That was a bonehead move. God, you're dumb. Here's another one. How could a loving God create a hell and damn people to it? Don't tell me you've never thought that. I have. I mean, God, that is dumb. No, no, no. God, that is cruel and wicked. We're all about thinking people. I love people that think. I love people that ask the questions. But I'm also just trying to give an example in all of this that the fact of the matter, when it really comes down to it, in our nature, we are at war with God in our thinking. In the same breath of kind of those, in the same mindset of those questions, we demand that God not create us as robots but with the ability to choose. And in that, it's kind of like God must give us the ability to choose. And then in it, we curse God for giving us the ability to choose. It's like uh, uh, we're at war. And yet we respond by saying, no, Doug, you're not understanding what I'm thinking about the choosing. I want the ability to choose what's right. Hold it. That is not the ability to choose. See what I'm saying? And as we go through this, again, I embrace the conversations. I embrace the thinking. I think they're great questions to be asking. But in it, I'm just trying to illustrate the reality that when it really comes right down to the base of it all, we're at war in our thinking with God. God, that's dumb, that's cruel, and I don't get you at all. That's at the core of it. And the thing that's in God's creation is so unique is that we and the angels were uniquely created by God with the ability to choose. And I would say, what a massive risk that was. I mean, God could have created you and I like trees. So we just are. And really, trees don't talk even though the movies show it. And the cows, they don't talk either. And neither do the pigs. And neither do those things. They, they really don't talk like we. They don't reason like we do. We, we've been created in a unique reality. And I'm grateful for the fact that we've been created in that unique reality. I'm, seriously, aren't you? Absolutely. And yet within that reality, there is an at war with God in it. And Adam and Eve were given the ability to choose. And they did choose sin. And therefore, they have to own it. And you and I were given the ability to choose. And let's be frank. Even this week, we all at some points in time have chosen to sin even this week. 
and we own it. Romans 8, 7, the mind is set on the flesh and hostile towards God. And verse 21 here, you are alienated and hostile in mind. These two words, alienated, it's talking about position. The word uh, uh, for hostile in mind is talking about mindset. So think about it this way. We are separated from God by position because of sin, and we are separated from God because of our mindset. And third, we are separated from God because of our actions. See, we usually run by three words like this, and we just kind of keep on moving and thinking they all add on to each other, and they do, but there's also uniqueness about them. Here's the reality. We are depraved by position, by mindset, and by action. Full depravity. It says doing evil deeds. That's the actions. That's the behavior. And in it all, our, our, our sinful position and sinful mindset drive us to do sinful deeds. And our sinful deeds own up the fact that we have a sinful mindset and a sinful position. I'm just going to tell us, the one thing that we have to brag about on our own is we have sinned really well. It's true. We have sinned really, really, really well, thoroughly top to bottom, around the corner, up, down, everywhere. Sin, 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 sin. Doug, you're so bumming me out. Oh, plus, Doug, by the way, it's not my fault. It's Adam and Eve's fault. <laughs> okay, I hear you, the sin of Adam. But here's the deal. Um, they got the ball rolling. But you and I have done enough sin on our own to be fully guilty. All right? So they got the ball rolling, and we jumped on the train as well on our own choices. We have. Also, the other as well, it's Satan's fault. Well, let me say this. Uh, Adam tried that one with his wife, with God. I tried that one as the youngest of three brothers with my mom. And neither mom nor God accepted the blame-shifting concept. Okay? So here's the deal. Our sin is total, full, all-encompassing. Own up to it. Own up to it. We live in a culture that is wishy-washy about sin. We don't call sin anymore. We just don't call sin, sin anymore. It's preferences. It's genetics. It's just not sin anymore. But we come to the scriptures and here's the cool thing. God names it something and God here in just a second has a solution for our big depravity problem. And if you and I, we do not have a big view of our sin condition we don't really need a very big God. If I have a small view of my sin, I need a small God to take care of that. But if I have a very big view of my total, utter depravity before God, I'm telling you, if it's that big, that total, that all-encompassing of depravity, then I need a great, big, supreme God that's going to step in and do for me what I cannot do for myself. And that's what leads out to people going, now I understand why it's worth following Jesus Christ. Full out, full bore, let's roll it. 
because he's taken care of my massive, ugly, horrific, huge sin position, mindset, and action that I own and I stand before God guilty, 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 guilty. Hey, by the way, do not compare your sin horizontally. Compare it vertically. Because when you and I stand before God, I'm going to tell you, friends, even like John the Apostle in Revelation chapter 1, John, who knew Jesus Christ on the earth and yet sees him raised, glorified in the heavens, John says he falls down on his face like he thinks he's going to die. That's the reality. Do you have that kind of view of your sin? Man, Doug, you are so depressing me. I want to say this, hopefully rightly, good. I want us to see our sin condition biblically. Alienated. Continually. Hostile in mind. Continually on our own. Evil actions continually before God. But Doug, I've done some good things in life. I get it, but that's horizontal. We still stand before God totally, totally guilty. Okay. Verse 21. The total depravity of once. There's hope right there. Once. There's hope. It says in here, you who once were. That means once alienated. That means once hostile in mindset. That means once fully caught in an action life of sin. But that means that was once the case. There can be a now. And so out of verse 21, the question should be, oh my, I'm going to say this hopefully appropriately. Oh my God, how do I get out of here? And get over here back in relationship with God. How does that happen? I'm really glad you asked. Because I got some great, great news from God's word. Look at the text. Look at the text. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Verse 22. He has now reconciled. In his body of flesh by his death in order to present you, you being alienated, hostile in mind, and evil in order to present you, in order to present that. Look at these three. Holy, blameless, above reproach, before God. Booyah! Let's work through some of this. The bad news of once can replace, be replaced with the great news of now. My total depravity reality can meet God's total reconciliation beauty. Look, he has, by the way, that means you can't. He has. You can't. Uh, This is so freeing. Because when you understand your total depravity, you, now you're understanding why. When people teach that you can become good enough before God, now I go, that's dumb. 
That's just utter dumb. How can anyone that's alienated, hostile in mind, all this kind of horrid condition, how can anyone save themselves out? If you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, take a look through there. You'll find out that when it describes what total depravity is, this is kind of the sister text with what we're talking about. When it talks about that, it talks about you're spiritually dead before God. And how can a dead person revive themselves back to life? They can't. Someone else has to come in. And bring him back to life. And well, guess what? Not you, but he. And he in the text is Jesus Christ. Only he can do the poof and bring. Only he can do that. He has supreme depravity requires a supreme reconciler. And look, he has reconciled. That means brought back. That means the alienation has been removed. The relationship has been restored. The sinner that is an enemy of God has now become, as scripture talks about, a friend of God. And I won't go into it, but there's five key shun words talking about salvation, justification, and redemption, and reconciliation, and all these. We're on reconciliation, and this is where he takes us as an enemy, and he makes us his friend. And you cannot do that on your own. I cannot do that no matter how hard I think I want to and how hard I think I can. Listen, stop, please, stop trying to work your way to God's favor. Not only can't you, but it's a miserable job because how do you know when you've done enough? You can't. And if you are trying to, I'm calling you just to give that up today because there's a superior way. He has now reconciled. Oh, by the way, it's not a future thing. It's not like uh, this happens and then you live the rest of your 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years of life miserable until reconciliation takes place. No, no, no. It happens when? Now. Uh, It happens when? Now. Now. You see that? It can happen now. And reconciliation can be a reality now. You don't have to stay stuck in depravity. You can get redeemed in in reconciliation. And it can happen now. It can be received now. It can be experienced now. It can be lived in now. We've talked about the who of reconciliation. He does it. Jesus Christ. We've talked about the the what is reconciliation. It's the transferring from an enemy to the friend. We've talked about the when of reconciliation. It can be a reconciliation, can be a reality right now. Now the question is, what's the means of reconciliation? Or how does that happen? Verse 22, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death. In his body of flesh, it means by the means of his body of flesh in his death. Look up at verse 20 right above it. It it talks about that, making peace by the blood of the cross. By the way, the term blood of the cross is referring back to the work of Christ on the cross. And and in that, it was a violent death. If you haven't seen the Passion movie, which really is the the best representation that we could possibly have on what takes place for a crucifixion. Uh, Friends, I'm just going to tell you, it's beyond imagination what was done to a human being when they were crucified. 
It was a violent death. The blood of the cross with that. And, and it's a violent death to take care of our total depravity. And Jesus Christ did it. He's the agent of the Godhead through which reconciliation is accomplished. And his physical death and resurrection is the means whereby Christ effected reconciliation. That means that the opportunity is available because of the cross and the resurrection. He did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. And now it's offered. And by the way, it's not crammed down your throat. And by the way, I'm not going to cram it down your throat. God doesn't force you. God doesn't make you. But he offers it. He offers it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, Ephesians 2. It is a gift from God. Turn left in your Bibles to Romans 5, just for, just for a minute here. It, turn left a little bit. You'll go past 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians. And then you'll come to Romans. Turn to chapter 5. Just want to read a few verses here that really summarize what we've been talking about. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. By the way, do you see the depravity within that? Weak, ungodly, Christ died. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, underline these next two words, but God But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, total depravity, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Friends, a holy God cannot do relationship with sin. Can't. A holy God cannot do relationship when there's sin in the house. And here it's time for, if while we were enemy, I'm sorry, since therefore, verse 9, we have now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now, you said now, not later, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. Jesus Christ died as our sacrifice, as our substitute for sin, making it available to you and I, doing for you and I what he could not do. And as the text says here, he died on the cross to take God's wrath. The Godhead's righteous wrath that needs to be sent out to a sin-cursed, totally depraved people, Jesus Christ came in and took the heat. 
that you and I deserve. We fully deserve. We own it. It's ours. And yet God has stepped in. I ask this question. Why would God do this? Why would the Godhead even do this? I mean, seriously, you guys, I'm like, if, if I was God, I would just be like, you know what? You choose not to hang with me. Okay. And yet in it, God in his love says, you know what? Those poor, totally depraved saps. I'm going to step in. I'm going to save their hide. Because I love them. Even though they totally chose to go away from me. Why would the Godhead do that? To show his love. Grace. Friends, so often God gets put in this angle that he's cruel and mean and loves crushing people. But the truth of the matter is, biblically, he created you and I to choose to love him. And yet we chose to run away from him. And we own that. And yet in it all, us as poor saps, a loving God has said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to provide the means of them to have relationship back with me. Oh my wonderful God. God shows his love. It's grace. Look at Colossians 1.22. In order to, why would he do this? In order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. Not alienated anymore. Not set apart from God himself, but actually set apart unto God. Holy. Sins removed. Holy. Blameless. You can't blame them without blemish. It's like there's no more sin there. I don't care what you have go, done, what you have done, what you have gone through. You cannot outsin God's grace. There is always hope for you because of that. And God is the one who wants to present us holy unto himself, blameless before him, and also above reproach. That means without accusation or charge. Yeah, but you did blank. Yeah, but you did blank. Yeah, but you do blank and blank and blank. And can you just imagine when the day when Satan's like, there we are before God and Satan's over there. Oh yeah, let me, God, let me tell you about how amazing Doug Helmer really was. Let's start with day one. No accusations. Zip it, Satan. You have nothing to accuse him of because he has been covered by the blood of the cross. 
That's my God. I'm just tired of our God being accused as though he's cruel. We're the cruel ones. We walked away. We reject him. And yet he still's like, come. Oh, how sweet. Reconciliation is about being reconciled to someone by someone. Do know this, that when you are reconciled, God the Father sees you as holy as his son. When you are reconciled, the Father sees you as you fully will be now. He sees you now as you fully will be one day. But right now, he sees you and I in the full purity and awesomeness and supremeness of Jesus Christ in our position. Doug, this sounds like amazing opportunity. Oh, it is. Doug, this sounds like a cush opportunity. So are you saying if I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. First John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Man, this sounds like a cush deal. So if I receive him, that's it. And like, Burr. well, kind of yes and kind of no. Doug, what do you mean by that? Just final verse. Look at verse 23. If, that's conditional. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a minister, became a minister. Friends, this verse really messes a lot of people up, and I understand why. Because it comes across sounding like, so I can lose my salvation? So I can lose my security? Wait a second. I saw Josh this morning tweeted John 10. Uh, The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them by name. And no one can snatch them out. What's happening here? What's happening here is Paul understands the Matthew 7 reality that Jesus taught about. Jesus taught to the crowds. He said, uh, uh, many of you will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I'm sorry, but I never knew you. In other words, just because someone makes a proclamation or someone even in themselves thinks that they are redeemed in Christ. The big question is, is are they redeemed in Christ's mind? Then you add to that Mark chapter 4, where Jesus talks about the four soils, and the first one and how they hear the word, and the second and the third are talking about the description of the person who hears the gospel, who hears what we've just been talking about, and they're like, I want in on that, and they do a prayer ditty, and they kind of do a thing, and then guess what? Because life gets hard or because of persecution from coming to Christ, they walk away. Here's the question that comes out of Scripture, out of Jesus' mind. Your continuation is a sign of your reconciliation. 
Your continuation is a sign of your reconciliation. Your continuation in Christ does not reconcile you, but your continuation shows a reality of this. Because my goodness, friends, if someone had this happen to them, why would they have this reality and keep living like that? It doesn't make sense. And so Paul is pressing in really in a very loving way because ultimately wouldn't it be one of the very worst possible things to know that somebody, they think in their mind that they have a full union with the Lord when in fact they don't because there's no fruit showing any change. The most loving thing to do is to go, I'm not God and I don't know what's going on. But what's happening in your life does not show a lasting reality of this. Do you really know Christ? Do you really know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you really? The way the gospel is proclaimed much of today in our world really is more about come to Jesus and all your problems will be gone. And so people go, I'm in a living hell. I want my problems gone. Okay, I'll do the Jesus thing. They're not understanding anything of what we've just talked about. They're not repenting of their depravity, gravity. They're not repenting of any of this. They're just looking for something better than this. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Reconciliation shows, is it? I realize we all go through hard times. We all go through tough times. Continuation is a sign of reconciliation. Well, let's wrap it up. We've talked about the bad news. We've talked about the great news talked about how we're reconciled to someone by someone, but we just talked about how we're reconciled to someone to do something. That's to live out a reconciliation. I would like just to go to five words in verse 23. In the middle of the verse, it says, the hope of the gospel. And right at this moment, I want to finish in this manner. I want to finish to where Do you now understand why it's called the hope of the gospel? Good news is this. Good news is the fact that my depravity can be removed and forgiven and I can be reconciled with my creator through Jesus Christ. Man, that's great news. That's just not good news. That's awesome news. That's great news. And by the way, this great news, oh my word, this is hope news. This is like there's hope and not like little paper willy-nilly free little like it lasts for a week hope. I'm talking eternal hope. 
hope that has for today. By the way, Paul is writing this in jail and he's talking about having hope. Why does he have hope in jail? Because it's not about his physical condition. He knows while his physical condition may be in jail, he knows that his reality before God, his spiritual condition before God is reconciled. No longer an enemy. I am one of God's peeps. Hope. There's hope in that. The gospel Good news, the hope of that. Hey, friends, that's what we cling to. That's what we hold on to. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to uh, hear when we're going to have in just a minute the worship team come up and they're going to uh, play a song for us. This is a perfect song as we come to the end here. And and, and as we sing this, I I want for you to take this time of singing this song and just thinking about the words because what we've just been talking about out of this text are in the song. And think about them. And I got three questions. Do you understand the gravity of your depravity? Do you understand the gravity of your depravity? I'm talking everybody in this room. Whether you know Christ as your Savior or not. Do you? Do you understand the total depravity that you and I bring to the table? That's why when the scriptures talks about only by God can we do anything good. Why? Because even though I'm redeemed, I'm still bent towards sin. Do you understand the gravity of your depravity? Secondly, have you repented of your depravity? In other words, it's not just I want a Jesus trophy on my shelf. I just want to have this idea that I can go to heaven with God. No, no, no. It's understanding that I am in a peck of hellish trouble. By position, by mindset, and by action. And I need to repent of that. I need to call it what it is. And I need to repent before a holy God. Have you done that? Have you repented of your depravity condition? And third, for those who know Christ, does your continuation confirm your reconciliation? Are there legs of life behind this. And if there is not, I lovingly press into you. Do you really know Christ? Well, let's have the worship team come up and prepare to lead us in the song. Let's be thinking about these questions. Gravity of my depravity. Have I really repented from that? What's the continuation of my reconciliation? And Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness, your grace. God, I just ask you to help us to grasp this. And Lord, I would pray if there's anyone in this room who who maybe is questioning their condition before you or knows that they have never repented and made that decision to receive Christ as their Savior. God, I I pray that they would today, now, 
Glory to you, Lord. Glory to you. Amen.